Hi, I'm Margie, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. If you're listening and have been enjoying Desert Island Dishes, please do take just 30 seconds to leave a five-star rating and a little review as it genuinely makes a world of difference. And I know it's very sad, but reading your reviews makes me so happy. And I've just figured out how to read the reviews from other countries, uh, which is very cool that there are people listening from all over the world. So hello and thank you so much. So I hope you're all well and that you've had a lovely week. I've got the wonderful Rosemary with me this week and she is sure to brighten your mood no matter what you're up to. She's a real hoot and I loved chatting to her. So grab a cup of tea, put your feet up or take the dog for a walk, however you like to listen to podcasts and enjoy. My guest today is Rosemary Schrager. Rosemary is a chef, a food writer and TV personality. She is both a cooking and food enthusiast. Rosemary began her career in restaurant kitchens, working under Pierre Kaufman and Jean-Christophe Novelli, and now runs her own cookery school and patisserie. In terms of cooking, she's really done it all, from cooking over a campfire in the Australian jungle on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, to cooking for royalty. Rosemary has decades of experience in the kitchen and believes that anyone can be a better cook. Welcome, Rosemary. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So, Rosemary, you've been to the jungle on I'm a Celebrity, so I'm wondering, how do you think you'll get on on a desert island? Well, do you know, this is really interesting because I think I'd get on pretty well. I'm quite self-sufficient. Yes, I can imagine. And as long as it had trees and sort of fruit and all this sort of fish, I probably would get on well. I'd be a bit lonely, Yeah, but I would actually try, I would be very active because I would actually make SOS out of stones. I'd bomb, bomb. I would be a very active person trying to get off the island. Okay. <laughs> so once I'm on the island, but being on the island while I'm there, I'm doing very well. Yeah, I feel like you're a very practical person. Oh, I would just get on with it. Yeah. I would just do it. If this is what's happened to me, I'm shipwrecked on an island. That's it. You put me there. <laughs> I, I will survive. Yeah, I have no doubt, Rosemary. <laughs> so I know that cooking is your real passion in life. It is. And that you come from a family passionate about food. So let's talk about the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Yes. Funnily enough, you're all going to be a bit shocked about this, but I was brought up with tripe and onions. Okay. Now, I used to love tripe. Oh, did you? I <laughs> loved it. I, you know, I know people hate it. It's the sort of texture of the tripe. But as a child, I was sort of brought up with this. And this was, and um, they did it, my mother did it with lots of onions and lots of white sauce and it was delicious. In fact, I'm going to have two dishes. Okay. There's that dish. And I'm also going to go with banana and cod and tomatoes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it is, it's literally baked cod, sliced banana and tomato, sliced tomato, baked in the oven with a little tiny light white sauce again, baked. It is delicious. Oh my goodness. I've never heard yeah, of that. It works. It works. But that makes me think that you are a very adventurous eater as a child. Well, funnily enough, I didn't actually like onions. You've noticed tripe and onions, cod and onions and all oh, this yes. and cod and banana and all lots of 
But I did, my mother used to disguise the onions. Oh, in the <laughs> so it's the I onion. love onion. I love onion. <laughs> and it, it's, she said she never gave me onion, but I know she did because they were all amongst everything. But I ate it because I couldn't see it. Okay, yeah. So as long as I couldn't see it, I was all right. And you grew up in Yorkshire. Yes. They're from Scarborough way. And um, my family, but my mother was down south, but she was always up in Yorkshire and visiting Yorkshire. But it was very much a, when I went to work in Yorkshire, I actually felt very Yorkshire. Oh, did you? I was, I'm that sort of person. I'm a spade to spade. They're very open people up there. And I felt very comfortable and very at home. And I knew, in a way, I knew I sort of belonged. You know, this is a place where I felt very happy. And so I had some really great years up in Yorkshire. And when I moved down south, but I also love where I am today. I love yeah. being in East Sussex. I love it down here. But, you know, but I love it. I'm always going back. So I love the two places. I have the best of both worlds. Well, yeah, that's the dream. Right. And, and and you grew up, I read that you had a kitchen garden yes. and rabbits and yes, chickens. we did. And that sounds very idyllic. We had, we did, well, it was in the farm. I, it, was, it was very, it was up until I was 10, 11, nearly 11 years old. We lived in Buckinghamshire and then we moved to London, to Regent's Park. So we uh-huh. left all that behind. So I was brought up at a very young age with chickens, very, you know, having our, we had about 100 chickens. We have masses of rabbits. We had uh, huge kitchen gardens. We used to keep geese. We used to give. So I was brought up with a load of sort of knowing what food was all about and where it came from. And this was terribly important. Even the cart horse that used to come in sometimes used to get out and come in from the local farmer. We used to end up mushrooms. Oh, you know, you know wonderful mushrooms. I used to be fascinated that this came from the manure that was said. This is all from, you know, from, from where it, you know, sort of all this sort of stuff. And yeah, I was fascinated by it. I really was. And I remember smells. We had cherry orchard as well, a lovely Ooh. big cherry orchard. And it was just. It was just, in, it was in me. And all I wanted to do, I was either drawing the house or I was eating the food. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> and I know that you say you're from a foodie family, but does that mean that anyone was doing it as a profession? No, 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 no. no. Just love food. Okay. My mother used to do bottling and freezing and do all this stuff, but just as a hobby rather than as a business. No, she did do a bit of catering um, when she was younger, but she, she loved, she loved all the cooking and all this. So I was used to, it was a, it, I call it the food gene. Oh, yes, I like We've that. got the food gene. Yeah. <laughs> and my children and my grandchildren have the food oh, gene. Oh, that was good. <laughs> yeah, all passed on. Yes. Okay, so the second desert island dish, what's the first dish that you learned to cook? Well, actually, it wasn't a dish, but I learned to cook scones. Ooh. I, and I used to make it with rancid butter. Okay. And I couldn't understand why I used to win all the time, but it was like doing sard milk. So you can, it was, it was, it had that flavor and I used to win. That's in the local fair. This, this this impress word. We, I used to always go and of course the old ladies used to be furious (laughs) because this little girl used to win with her scones. That's so cool. I know it is. And also gingerbread. So we used to make gingerbread. So rather than a dish, it was actually, it was doing baking. And this is what I think is so lovely. When we were children, when we teach children at school, it's when the love of cooking comes, your very first thing. I was doing my lovely scones. Yeah, and it seems like magic, doesn't it? Like you can't believe. I mean, you can't believe these things rise up and no. you've got all this gorgeousness going on. And they were just delicious with massive butter on the top. I shouldn't yeah, say Yeah, rosemary, that stop today. it. I know, I know, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> so you say your mum made amazing Yorkshire puddings. And I yes. read a quote where you said that your father firmly believed that you should never marry a woman who can't make Yorkshire puddings. And 
I mean, I feel like that's, <laughs> I feel like that's quite a good test for a future partner, isn't it? <laughs> well, I have to say, I actually, I can't remember saying that, but I suppose he must have said that at some stage. Yes, Yorkshire puddings were very, I loved the Yorkshire puddings. They were wonderful. You know, all these things are actually bad for you today, I but I love them. But they used to be very, very high. And I've actually got them in my book, really big ones, because I put more egg than anybody else in. Ah, that's so the that's what, that's what it is. I put a lot more egg, so they, they rise a lot higher. And they're bubbly. Rather than straight, they're bubbly and they look amazing. I that just, sounds really good. They are. They're good. They're slightly unusual, but I think they're just, and they're very, because there's more egg in it, they're very crispy. Oh, really. That's what that you want. Say, you want them really crispy, which is great. Very light, lightly crispy. Also, in this article that I found, um, you said that your mother liked to serve them with golden syrup and cream, which sounds uh, Oh, yes. That, the, the, the thing is, golden syrup is very a traditional Yorkshire used to have golden syrup and doing all this thing. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very oh, traditional. Oh. Yeah. Well, oh. what Yorkshire pudding originally comes from with Yorkshire. They used to eat it to, first of all, before they had the meat to fill their, their selves up. Oh, okay. They, or they used to put the meat inside the Yorkshire pudding. Mm. So it's very much a Yorkshire pudding. A Yorkshire pudding was a very big thing up there because it, it was bulk. It's yeah. just pure bulk. Yeah. You know, and delicious. About. <laughs> yes. You went to the... Heatherly School of Fine Art, and you went on to work as an interior designer for a London-based architecture firm. Yes. You would cook a lot in your spare time, but what was it that made you decide to try and pursue it as a career? Well, i tell you about that. It's a really interesting question because what I used to do was I used to just cook all the time. It was in me, and I, you know, I, I never forgot to cook. I just cooked and cooked and cooked and cooked, and um, three o'clock in the morning, I'd still be cooking. I'd still be waiting things to come out of the oven. Me and my husband's absolutely <laughs> a nightmare because I was never in bed. I was always in the kitchen. But I was actually doing the Miller Howe Hotel layouts from Windermere Hotel. And John Tovey, the chef, was coming at the time. And I just wanted to meet him. But I was just a lowly technical drop. So basically, I'm actually, for me, I was doing the layouts and the, and the reception rooms in the Miller Howe Hotel for him. And all I wanted to do was to meet him. And I asked my boss, Jack Neer, saying, could I actually meet this uh, John Toby? And he said, yes, yes, yes. And then before I knew it, he'd been and gone. And <gasps> oh, no, you I missed didn't get him. To meet him. No, oh, no. I was just, and I was so upset. I gave my notice in the next day. Because of that? Because of that. Oh, my goodness. I thought, I, do you know what? I want to cook. Yeah. And that's all I want to do. So I literally gave my notice in, put the phone down, that's it, put my notice in. Oh, my goodness. It was kind of like a... an immediate thing. Yeah. Well, it was... And I thought, if I don't do anything now, I'm never going to do it. Yeah. And I gave up all my work, all my training, all my things, and I went into cooking. Not one person said to me, don't do it. Not one person, having been through all that that's work. amazing. And I just did it. It was sort of seemed natural with me. Yeah. And that's when I started doing director's lunch. That's when you know you've made the right that's decision. That's when I made it. Yes, I started. Well, I didn't know. No, it wasn't at the beginning. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know at the beginning I made the right decision. You would have thought that. The thing was, when I went and worked for these directors' lunches, I realized I didn't know enough. Oh. <laughs> just, because, just because I'd been working from mastering the art of French cookery at the oh, time, yeah. Julia Child, and I'd been through, I was Julia and Ch Julia before it even happened. I loved the book. And just because I did that doesn't make me good by any means of the imagination. So that's why, you know, I had to go and learn myself on the job in the kitchen. So it was literally as simple as that. 
And that's why I put myself through an apprenticeship. That's so cool. Uh, I know, it's and different. I read how you said um, that you really reached out to people. So you'd, you'd get the butcher to teach you I and did. you'd go to the fish markets to learn more. Yes. And you even say that you would ring up some of the best hotels and ask to speak to the head chef to get their advice. I did. That's an amazing thing to do. But I can't help but think that's quite brave and quite well, gutsy. It was gutsy. I didn't know what else to do because I would sit in the kitchen who am I going to talk to? <laughs> How am I going to talk to this person to tell me about my clarification of my stock? Who knows more than me? Well, I didn't know anybody who knew more than me. I knew no one. Yeah. Absolutely no one. So I had no sort of person to go to. He was in the sort of world as such. And that's how I started learning. And, and so I took myself off to butchers. And funnily enough, and fishmongers and whatever you name, I was doing it. But funnily enough, the butcher who taught me how to do sausages... He said the other day, he was so proud because he's so proud of what I've done. Oh. And he said, oh, I taught you how to do your sausages and your stringing and your thing. It was such a lovely thing. Yeah, that's And so they were nice. part of my life. You know, these people were part of my life. That's so and nice. And that's, that's why it's so important to me. And that's why I'm so passionate about apprenticeships, that I would have loved to have had someone that I could go to and actually say, look, Rosemary, this is how you do it. But I didn't have anyone. So I did it myself. So I did it by drawing, writing in books after, you know, all the information I put down myself in my own books. So I have books and drawings of everything I did. That's so cool. Yeah. But I do still think that's quite brave to sort of approach it, it people. Was, like, does, does it that, was brave, yes. Does that come naturally to you? Like, have you always been quite a brave, confident person? No, that was a problem. I wasn't confident. You see, the thing is, I'm quite a brave, I've got courage. I'm a brave person. I've got yeah. a lot of courage. But I didn't have any confidence. Now, it was because I was so passionate about what I wanted to do, about what I wanted to learn, that I took the bull by the horn. And it was scary. And But I thought, I thought to myself at the time, if I'm not going to be honest, how am I going to learn? Well, yeah. And also, who am I going to ask? Who else am I going to ask? And I promise you, every single chef I spoke to, whether it be Claridge's or the Dorchester, every single chef or the Savoy, actually said to me, fantastic, and everyone helped me. That's Doesn't so matter what nice. it was. So much so, there was a story that I phoned Claridge's one day, and I was in trouble. And I said, I, I, I need some help. I've got some bread I need to cut. Can I come over? Yeah. And, and I need to make some Catherine wheels. It was in the 80s, early 80s, for a cocktail party. And of course, so I went there, and the head chef, he put me in his office with a cup of coffee, and then they came back with the bread I'd sent, which was a tray, wooden tray of loaves of bread, which had great big holes in. They showed oh, me. Oh, no. They said, don't worry, Rosemary, don't worry. The next minute I know, they had made all my uh, smoked salmon wheels, all of them, and produced it. And I then they said, we've done it for you. Oh, my and goodness. And giving me the bread, the smoked salmon, everything. And I left... And that cocktail party in the evening, I was so proud because yeah. I'd, <laughs> they, had, you've ever done. they had Claridge's wheels, <laughs> smoked salmon wheels. It was very funny. That's amazing. And I, I wouldn't mean, have today, believe me. No. The worst that can happen, though, I guess, is that someone just says no. And I think we've all been slightly conditioned to be scared of the word no. But really, it's not that bad, is it? No. I mean, the thing is, if people don't sell you the truth, how are you going to learn? Well, I always say to students when they come to me, or my cookery students, because we, we teach professional people. Yeah. And we also teach, we've got a professional school, but we also teach um, ordinary people. And whoever I'm speaking to, 
I say, if you do not understand, doesn't matter what you do, you do not say, yes, chef. Yeah. <laughs> you say, no, I don't understand. And that is the only way to learn. And you know, it doesn't matter how small it is, doesn't matter what the question is, doesn't matter if you can't get it in, you know, if you can't actually understand the logic or whatever it is. I tell you what, how to boil water. I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but turning it down to simmer and doing all this. Little stupid things, how to poach an egg, how to grab, that's why I've done the egg chapter. Yeah. Little things. It's really important that nothing is too much to tell people how things are done because why should they know? Well, yeah. Why? So you don't patronize people. You don't make them feel stupid. What a stupid question. No. <laughs> you say, actually, that's really good. And it doesn't matter what you think. Yeah. And that's what I learned. We're going to talk about the third desert island dish now. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. Right, I'm going to tell you. Okay. All right, this is the best dish I've ever eaten. This was a dish in Moulin de Mougin. Okay. Uh, Moulin, which is the restaurant, it's Moulin de Mougin. And Roger Verger. It was the most unbelievable main course. Ah. It was lamb with a garlic mousse. It was, it was the flavors. If you can say you're in heaven, <laughs> I was gone i gone to heaven <laughs> i was lying on my desert island this time i'm going to describe it <laughs> i'm in complete ecstasy and i don't want to move anywhere but there just stay there forever oh. it was sublime so much so that i asked to go into the kitchen now you weren't allowed to go roger Verge did not allow you but i happened to be working for pierre kaufman at the time so because of that i was able to go into the <gasps> kitchen and because of my michelin star so I met the head chef and I asked for the recipe of this unbelievable garlic mousse because it can be the accompaniments that can create the flavor. Mm. That can make or break a dish. Yeah. And this dish I will never forget. Then they gave me the recipe. Well, if I told you about five, five sort of, I don't know, 30, 40 kilos of garlic, oh. <laughs> three days to cook, three days to cook. I mean, it was like, it was like a, a love. It was a lesson of love to get to the the ultimate velvety mousse that it got. Seriously, I've never seen anything like it. So did you try making it yourself? I did, actually. Yeah. I, I had to take it down. I think, to be honest with you, I think it was about 15 kilos of garlic oh, or something like that. It was, I can't quite, <laughs> I've got the recipe somewhere. But I got it down. I worked it down to a kilo of garlic. But it's never the same. No, it's never because the same. Because you see, it's all the quantity and boiling it for a certain, or, or reducing it for a certain time very very slowly and it, you can't repeat that you can't get that because quantity can sometimes be better you know more quantity than something because you can get the flavor in. definitely if you've got less quantity then it dilutes the flavor becomes very intense but also you you just can't get it as well yeah and i did try it wasn't bad no. but it was but not it, as good but also it's so hard to recreate something like that at home isn't it because part of what you loved about it was the whole experience like it sort of tastes so different doesn't it? well you know for yourself exactly it was the experience of this lamb was unbelievable but it was the accompaniments and they also had a tempura bit you know they had the whole thing with it you know the the accompaniments just make it yeah and that's what made but it was just the fact I met Roger Berger as well. I mean, I've had plenty of beautiful meals. Uh, also, I can go on for a, a, yeah. Yeah, a list of meals. <laughs> but it's just I met Roger Berger, who's who's past, who's sad, who's, who's dead, departed. 
And also I went into the kitchen. I got the recipe. It was the whole experience of that meal. That's very cool. It is cool. You started your own catering company, Cooking Directors Lunches in London. And so you'd been cooking for a good few years when you went to work for the French chef Jean-Christophe Novelli. I did. At his restaurant in Cornwall. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about and what it was like? Well, I was working also for, I've been working in other kitchens, but just not important, just simple kitchen. But for him, he was... He actually asked me to go and work for him. Well, he needed a patisserie chef. And how did he find you? Well, I was I was actually a friend. We'd just moved to Cornwall. I was looking for something to do because, you know, in cooking, obviously, moving from London. Yeah. And, you know, I sort of said, you know, this is what I really obviously continue to do. But it was just finding something. And I was talking to my friends and they basically had this restaurant. And they said, well, why not? So I went to saw and JC had just come down from Tooting Glen, I think, at the time and said he was looking for a patisserie chef. So I went in. I was no patisserie chef at all. So he had to teach me everything, more or less. How amazing. Um, it was incredible. But it was it was, it was was frightening because, you know, I was sort of elevated up and, and I was, and he, he put me on a different level. So this was the beginning of a sort of different level to bistro food. He put me on a sort of what I call a slightly upper echelon. Yes, it was just a fascinating, but we fell out a couple of times. Oh, you did? Yeah, we always fall out. <laughs> but he's, do you know what? He's the most lovely, lovely man. I remember him coming to dinner one evening at home when he had a night off. And I said, come on, I'll cook you dinner. And I remember doing pigeon pie. I was so scared. <laughs> I was so scared about So scary. But um, did it go well? I think he loved it. We ate by the fire, actually. It was just one of these lovely moments. You've said previously that the cooking scene was very different back then. Oh, it was, was very right. chauvinistic. It was. it was sort of, in your words, pompous and often a sort of French's best attitude. Mm. Did you did you find that that was... You know, in those days, it was it was interesting because it was chauvinistic. There weren't a lot of women in the kitchens. Women are not strong enough to take sometimes these heavy pans. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, and it's it's very when it's very very male orientated. You know, French chefs and they they really didn't really like women in the kitchen. They didn't think it was a woman's place really. And I think that they, you know, they were. It was it was a hard life because it was an unsociable life. It was a tough life. Yeah. In fact, if anything was going to go, it would have had everything against it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a hugely rewarding life because it was so satisfying. It was creative. It was interesting. And don't forget, I was still learning. I mean, I was learning, learning, learning. You know, it took years to learn, years and years and years. Yeah. And it was all part of my learning yeah. bit. And I loved it. And I couldn't have asked for anything better from JC. And he's a very good friend of mine now. You know, we, we're still a good friend. But now I I recommend him to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Which is so so basically we crossed the line. Yeah, it's come he, full circle. Yes, but he actually always used to say to me, Rosemary, when you've made it, people won't get hold of you. And do you know what? People can't get hold oh. of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite cool when they say that. So I've taken that on board. <laughs> Obviously, I'm oh, so successful. <laughs> and from there, yeah. you went to work at Tante Claire, which was Pierre Kaufman's yes. restaurant in yes. London. Yes. I know that you said that he was a real hero of yours. Yes, but then I went and worked. He was my hero. And what do you think the biggest lesson that you learned from him was? Keep it simple. You know, he was he's a genius. And I have so much respect for Pierre Kaufman. He is like my hero. And for me, he is he's 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 a hard taskmaster, but he had to be in the three star restaurant. Yeah. He basically he needed people to you know, trust and support him because you are only as good as your 
you know, your work or whatever, and your last meal. So I just think that he took a risk with me because he didn't know. He, I had to work, you know, free of charge for a week before I could go on. And um, he took a risk. But also, you know, he didn't have women um, in the kitchen, really. Mostly it was mostly your French. I was the only woman while I, I was there. And it was, I think he, for me, I will always be so grateful to him for giving me the chance. I will be unbelievably grateful for him uh, also for putting up with me in the sense that, you know, he went with me and he understood what I was trying to do. And I worked hard for him. And he was just such a lovely person. But, you know, he was what he was in the kitchen. He was this person, this tough person, and he just had to be. But when you watched him, it was watching a genius. He, You know, he was just so good at what he does and did, um, and he still does, actually. And he's coming down to my cookery school. Oh, that's great. Which is very exciting. And I feel so honoured. Yeah. The thing is, when I'm with him, I'm always quite nervous. (laughs) You know, I sort of... I, I so revere him as a person and a chef that I'm, you know, he's like another world, you know, yes, chef, you know, chef, I think <laughs> chef. Um, it's, it's, it's something else. So I feel I've been a very lucky woman to have worked for him and also to have worked to, to be with him and also just know him as a friend. Oh, that's and, so nice. Which is very special. Yeah. So, and um, I can't wait to see him. <laughs> We're on to the fourth desert island dish, Ooh. and that is your favorite sandwich. Oh, easy. Oh, <laughs> salt beef. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Hot salt beef sandwich. There is with pickle inside, with, with pickled onion, with the sweet and sour onion. I absolutely adore it. Salt beef sandwich, that's it. There's yeah. on rye. Oh, yes. Oh, on rye. It has to be on rye. Where's the best one you've ever had? Well... There's the one in Blooms. I think it's called Blooms in, in East End, London. Okay. It's the most gorgeous and it's warm, hot salt beef sandwich. Best sandwich I've ever eaten. Yeah. Best ever. I think we'll leave it there. That sounds great. Yes, you can't. <laughs> you can't. But it has to be fresh. <laughs> so, Rosemary, you've done a lot of TV throughout your career. I was the best kept secret on Channel 5 for years. Okay. Because nobody had Channel 5. Oh, so, I of course, see. when I started... It was Rosemary. Um, I had Rosemary Castle Cook, Rosemary Queen of the Great Kitchen, Rosemary on this road. Yes, I did loads. I Nosh. I was on, I did lots of one-offs, like the Generation Game, lots of one-off programs. But I used to do all this. And of course, then I was doing the Good Food Show. I was the troubleshooting chef, all before Lanets the Ladies. Oh, okay. And so when uh, you got those early television yes, jobs, yes, yes. how did that come about? Like, was that something you sort of well, actively wanted to do? I did. I, I, I actually, my very first gig was actually live on Granada Lifetime. And it was kitchen, in a kitchen, Rosemary's Kitchen, it was called. And um, it was Susanna Constantine who got me the gig. And oh, right. She, she just started her own, she mentioned me to them, just started her own program. And she said, um, I must be on television. You know, I must be on television. We share, we, we share the same aunt and uncle. Okay. Um, and uh, I happen to be doing something for them. And so um, it was just one of these moments. So, and she was very sweetly. She did. She recommended me, and I got onto the I got onto the program. And she basically, she said to me that you know you can do it. So I did it. And then I did some other stuff. That not much. But then what really happened was I had somebody called Neil McLean who came up to Scotland who actually said a 
double page spread in the mail on Sunday, turbot with rosemary. And he had this. <laughs> and of course, um, BBC Good Food saw this. They got me in and I, I was the troubleshooting chef in the Good Food show. Oh, that's so and great. And then, and with Warren Thompson and Jilly Golden. But then, to cut a long story short, I was offered two series in one week, but one with Basil Productions for BBC Two and one with Michael Atwell with the, with the actual channel, with Channel 5. So if I'd gone with BBC Two, I would have been the best kept. I wouldn't have been such a secret. And I probably would have been far more famous, far more crazy. <laughs> Whereas because I went to Channel 5, nobody knew me. <laughs> so I don't know what was the better thing. Obviously, the Harry Bikers started way after me. All Everybody started way after me. I probably would have been a lot richer. Okay. I would have been rich. I would have had some money then. <laughs> you haven't done too badly, Rosemary. Um, one of your many areas of expertise is dinner party etiquette. And I came across an article with some of your advice on this subject. And some of it, I'm very glad to say, I knew. Such oh, good. As, I'm very glad. Yeah, you say don't put your elbows on the table, which I know. And you said you should talk equally to people on either side of you. Yes, very important. Very important. But Rosemary, you also said in this article, if you're going out to eat and you have bread on the table, you should never, ever, ever spread butter on your never. roll. Why? No, you never. Have I been embarrassing myself and not no, even totally, knowing it? Totally. <laughs> it is not ladylike. What you do is you take a roll. Yes. You cut it in. You you take it in half. Yeah. Sort of pull it, pull it in half. Then you pull it in half again, one of the halves. Then in the half again until you end up with a little bit. Then you take your butter, put it on the side of your plate, yeah. and you take a little bit of butter, put it on that little bit, and shove it in your mouth. Oh, I see. So you are allowed to put yes. butter on your yes, bread. you're not allowed to spread it oh, I see. all over on okay. half yeah, a roll. I don't, I don't think I do that. But let's move on. Okay. <laughs> um, right, so we okay. have to talk about okay. I'm a Celebrity. Right. How did you find it? But you see, I'm a Celebrity. It's so funny because actually uh, I really enjoyed it. And the thing about me was... I actually, I wanted to embrace the situation. I didn't want to, and I just played myself. And I, I surprised myself, actually. <laughs> I actually, I actually did things I never thought I would do, yeah. like put my hands in a sort of hole and put my arms and sort of do all sorts of things. So like, brave. Well, yeah, I think it was brave because I've, yeah. got, I've got a fear of snakes, a oh my real goodness. fear of snakes. So consequently, I think I did not badly, but I loved it. And all the cooking well, the cooking. I yeah, because you, you did most of the cooking. Uh, well, you? I did all the prepping. I decided very early on I wasn't going to take the, over the cooking because they all thought they were cooks. So I decided, but what I did was I told them what to do. Mm. So I was the delegator. Okay. Well, I told them I did all the prepping because none of them could prep. So I did all the prepping and I delegated and then they cooked. <laughs> what was <laughs> Much the, better provision. Yeah, way better. Been. What was the weirdest thing they gave you to cook? Oh, crocodile's feet. I mean, that. Why have a crocodile foot? That is disgusting. Yeah, How what, revolting. What, was it disgusting? Yeah, I thought oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> and then the other thing was kangaroo tail was delicious. Actually. Possum was horrible. Mutton bird was horrible. But it, you know, the thing is, it's easy to cook the meats because the meat is meat. You know, hind's a hind, a tail's a tail. So you know how to do it. It was actually the vegetables and fruits that I didn't know some of them. Yeah. And that was the thing. So I had to look at the textures and how how it sat before I could make up my mind how it should be cooked. Yeah, that's interesting. Because you don't know how much water would come out of it. You don't know, but you can do it by weight. The whole thing is logic. So I sort of tried to get the bull by the horn and realized, you know, what should do, what should happen, how much it should happen. You did a very good job. Well, I, I hoped I did. Yeah. Although there was, although when, once I got out, they complained because they ran out of soya beans. Oh. <laughs> 
oh, I'd finished the rice or something. They said, <laughs> all my fault. You were blaming me. Of course. <laughs> yeah, which fine. We're talking about the fifth desert island dish now, and that's the dish that you eat the most often. Oh, now that is interesting. Okay. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> what I eat most often, it's not, it's not a, just one dish. I have salad every day. Okay. Every single day I have a salad. That's why in my book, I've got lots of salads in there, lots and vegetables, because it's just something I've done. I always do. I love salad. Yeah. And I love it. Or it doesn't matter what I put into it. I put everything into it. You know, I, I just love different things. I like to eat, you know, I like to do uh, beans and pulses and all these sort of things. I love the textures mm. of that. So salad. And I love putting fruit into salad. Ooh. Uh, you know, I, I put nuts. I put lo- lots of lovely nuts and pistachio peanuts in salad. I do it with everything. So I like lots of salads with different textures and whatever's there. Even leftover veg, cooked vegetables or anything like that. And sometimes I do it with a garlic dressing or sometimes I do it with a mayonnaise, depending on what, what it was like. But I would choose. But it's so simple. So you're not, I always have also tins of beans, like tins of um, red kidney beans or uh, bonotti beans or, you yeah. know, or whatever's in there, butter beans, you know, Calalini beans. So I've got beans. So I'd always take a bit of a few from a tin of beans that I'd put into. So my salads every day. That's what I would never miss. That's what I do every day. And is that what you tend to have for lunch? I've just eaten a salad. Oh, have you? (laughs) (laughs) Every single lunch. So, Rosemary, you've trained in restaurants. You've been head chef of different establishments. You've taught cooking, written books, done so many things. But in 2013, you took on possibly the biggest challenge of your career to date by deciding to open your own cookery school in Kent. Yes. That's such an exciting thing to do. You'd previously been based up in Yorkshire, but you made the huge decision to sell up and leave and sort of put everything into the new business. How did that come about? Well, what happened was I've been teaching up in Yorkshire for 10 years and I had a cookery school up there, but it wasn't mine. I wanted something that belonged to me, that, that was my school because they didn't, they weren't doing what I really wanted to do. It wasn't, that's the, they didn't want to go down the angle. The angle I wanted to go down was to teach people how to, to teach chefs and teach people, also ordinary people who want to learn to cook. Yeah. But I wanted to do both. And they weren't prepared to do it for me at that particular moment in time. So I decided, I made a conscious decision that I wanted to find somewhere. So I got a phone call from Chris Fabric who said, I'm just about to purchase the, Corn Exchange at the time. And he said he thought it would make the most beautiful cookery school. So I came down, looked at it, perfect. So I then converted it and I got lots of people involved. I got lots of suppliers, lots of people, partnerships that they put stuff in and helped me. And without them, I wouldn't even be able to do it because a lot of money. So we did all that. I have to say, we've had downs and ups and downs and ups, but we're now really doing, we're doing well now because we're teaching MVQs, fours and fives, which is really high yeah, end. it's really high end. Also, ordinary people are coming from all over the country and the world who are learning to cook. You know, just for days and weekends, I'm still teaching. I'm still doing my stuff. I love my teaching, so I will never stop teaching. And I think it's a great product we deliver because we do something a little bit different to other people. We do chef's tables. We do corporate, a lot of corporate. And I love corporate. It's such fun. Are you glad that you sort of waited slightly later in your yes. career to launch your own business? Do you know, this was, that's a really, really clever question because nobody has ever asked me that. Oh. Not one person. <laughs> and not one person said it's later. And yes, I am. Because 
it's the pitfalls and actually you can so easily go wrong and don't get me wrong i also there, i went there were moments i went wrong yeah of course and you know you learn by your mistakes the one thing i wasn't frightened of is asking for help and that is the most important thing and for me i asked for help really and it was it's it's everything so i think i've done a good job yeah. i i don't run it i've got somebody now to run it for me Amazing. i've got a new ceo in i've got a great team of chefs they are fabulous they really are wonderful they look after me and uh, i just adore them i look after them they're just wonderful people they are my business and so i feel very strongly that they should you know they have a they have an ownership of the business in some way or another because they i feel they've worked so hard yeah. and they they do so well and actually i'm just sending them on new courses teaching courses and things Amazing. like this so you know we try very hard to move forward. I mean, there are just so many different aspects of running a business now, aren't there? So many it's things to think about. Yeah. And it does cost. So we yeah. have had to take, because it all takes time. Yeah, you can't do everything at once. We're on to the sixth desert island dish, and that's your go-to dinner party dish. Now, this is interesting. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you one of my favorite ones, and I'll tell you why. It's Navaran of lamb. Okay. Now, the reason I choose Navaran of lamb, now this is simple. I do it the day before. Perfect. You know, you don't want to be, you just want to heat it up and you just want to plonk it in front of the pet, your, your dinner party. Yeah. Because you want everybody to enjoy it. It's all about sharing today. It's all about sharing and easy dining today. It's not as it used to be, you know, you can imagine all the formal dining. No. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is simple today. But I think something like a, a warm Navarana of lamb, you're coming into winter as well. What could be nicer? You've got, I mean, spring or winter, actually. Yeah. But you've got the lovely turnips. You've got all the lovely things going on. You've got, you've got everything happening. And you can use, you know, it doesn't have to be young spring lamb. You can use ordinary lamb shoulder, which I think is the tastiest. Yeah. So, you know, I think Navarro lamb is lovely. But the other one I love is venison. Ooh. Venison with pepper dumplings, little Ooh. dumplings. Actually, I've got it in my book, the venison one. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> so, would, would you serve a pudding? Oh, yes, always. Oh, yes. But I only serve one pudding. Okay. I never serve ever a well, choice. That's, I don't okay. the point. Well, no, because we always used to do about three. How mad oh, right. were we? Really? Yes, that was a norm. <laughs> How mad were we to have a choice of puddings? I mean, we used to do a it. Lot. Believe me. I know, we used to do it. Anyway, no, I'd either do a lovely tart or I'd do something that was in season. You know, spring, I'd do rhubarb, something, you know, creamy or apple pie now, you know, do something simple. Yeah. Yum. We have a cookbook corner on desert island dishes. And I think maybe I know your answer to this already, but what is your favorite ever cookbook? Well, I think you know the answer. Is it Julia Child? (laughs) It's how I I started. I started with Julia Child. Then I went on to Michel Gerard, Roger Verger, and then I went on to those, you know, Trois brothers. And so with all that lot, so basically it was definitely Julia Child was the one going from page to page. When volume two came out, I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, so basically, it's volume one and volume two. I've been through three volume ones. <gasps> oh, that's when you know you love that's the book. That's when you know you love yeah. the book. Okay, we're on to the final seventh desert island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Can I tell you what I would love? Tell me. Poached egg on toast. Ooh. Now, you may think this is really silly. No. But it's got to be a fresh egg, a day old because it must have to be day old, not on the day, day old. And poached egg on a lot of buttered toast. Of course. <laughs> it's got to be buttered, loads of butter. Gorgeous wholemeal bread. And to me, with lots of salt and pepper on it. 
to me that it's like neck. That would be something to eat before I went away. That is nectar. And it's rather like, it's like, like a boiled egg with soldiers. Yeah. I just absolutely, there's something so comforting, so comforting about it, but also so delicious. And I mean, I could give you some really wonderful, some. No, I think that's a great answer. For me, that is, you know, and John Dory is my favorite, John Dory is my favorite fish. Yeah. John Dory is a great fish. Oh. My very favourite dish. Of all. <laughs> would you like a pudding before you go off to the island? Yeah, I, okay, I would love an apple tart. Okay, I would um, like a real apple tart with the French way of doing it, just gorgeousness with the apricot jam topping and what the whole lot with a lovely, lovely and lovely layer of um, uh, apple puree with the coxes on the top. Do you know what? Delicious. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Rosemary, those were your desert island dishes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Isn't she fun? What a career. So many impressive things in there. And I'm very, very much in favor of the idea of starting businesses or new careers whenever it might be in life. There is no wrong time. And I love that Rosemary is showing us how it's done. Come and find me on Instagram at Margie Nomura, where you can probably find me cooking something for a fridge forage or nosing through supermarket trolleys. Yes, that's the thing. I'm doing it. Come and have a look. As always, head to the website desertislanddishes.co for lots of recipes. And that's all from me for now. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.